Hi, this is Victoria Schneps, proud to be bringing you the Power Woman podcast. And we are brought to you today by One Brooklyn Health System, Brookdale, who is the leader of healthcare in East Brooklyn. Thank you, Brookdale Hospital. And now, let me introduce, if I had a drum roll, I would use it right now to introduce Julie Menon. Hi, Julie. Hi, Vicki. It's great to be with you today. Well, I'm thrilled to be able to put you on our podcast as a power woman because you've earned that role with uh, your great success in your career. But I'd like to go back to where you grew up in Washington. Is that right? Yes, I grew up right in the heart of Washington, D.C. And tell me a little bit about your family background, how you think it influenced you in terms of where you began your education and where you came in your career. Well, I was heavily influenced by my parents and particularly my mother. My mother came to New York as a Holocaust survivor. She survived the Holocaust in Budapest with my grandmother. My grandfather was killed and many other relatives as well, and my mother and grandmother hid in a cellar in Budapest to survive. And so I was always deeply um, inspired and moved by my mother's struggles, the hardships that she and my grandmother endured. How did she get out? How did she get out? She got out. They hid in a cellar, and that's how they survived. And then they stayed um, after the Holocaust, and then they escaped uh, when the Russians came in and sealed the borders. They escaped in the middle of the night. The first two attempts to escape were not successful. It was only on their third attempt that they made it out. They actually didn't come straight to the United States. They couldn't get in, and they actually went to uh, Sydney, Australia, which, you know, certainly coming from war-torn Budapest was the antithesis of what they had been experiencing. And they were there for a number of years and then came to New York. You know, I I think it's so much uh, the struggle today of the immigrant population uh, being so, uh, shall we say, challenged by how they are struggling where they were and trying to come here. And it sounds like your mother had a similar journey. Well, that's exactly right. And as a mother myself, you know, I try to tell my kids all the time that you cannot sweat the small stuff, like small things you cannot get upset about. I tell them what your grandmother and your great-grandmother went through, that is something to be upset about, where literally they didn't know from day to day if they were going to survive and seeing loved ones killed and in the most horrific of circumstances. And so I've tried to use that to inform my life in terms of putting things into perspective and really focusing on the things in life that truly matter. Well, you know, you have a new position which you've earned by all the work Mm -hmm. you do as census director, which is going to be a huge impact for our city, our state, and our country. But you also using your wonderful education as a lawyer because you are now going to be involved so closely with the law department in New York City. So would you share a little bit how your education evolved? Because here your mother came to this country with nothing. How did she afford your fabulous education? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm an only child, and my parents worked extremely hard to be able to give me an education, and I deeply, deeply appreciate that. When I was in college, um, I thought at the time that I would go in, perhaps into academia. I loved studying college, and um, it was really my parents who persuaded me to go to law school because I had a deep passion for writing, for analysis, 
And so I did go to law school and then went back to Washington, D.C., where I grew up to practice at a law firm there. And I've been a lawyer for many, many years. It's wonderful to have this role in the law department and to really work on some incredibly interesting cases. Uh, and also cases that relate to the census. I mean, one of the deep challenges that we have regarding the census is this citizenship question that has been asked and is being put on the questionnaire for the first time in 70 years. And our fear is that it's really an attempt to suppress immigrants and to suppress immigrants' response to this. And we're a city of 38% immigrants. There's hundreds of millions of dollars of funding that are dependent on our getting an accurate count with the census. And so we're not going to stand for this, and we're going to stand up and fight this. Well, I'd like you to, I think, paint the picture of what it means to be counted, what this is going to mean to us in terms of congressional seats, in terms of dollars for programs. Can you broaden the scope a little bit about the power of your taking the census and doing it? Absolutely. And I think, Vicki, not a lot of people are really aware of all the consequences. So on the funding piece, we are fighting for our share of over $800 billion a year that the federal government allocates to cities and states. New York State gets $73 billion a year of that funding, and the city takes a large chunk of that. If we have an undercount and people don't fill out the census, we're going to lose funding for our public schools, public housing, senior centers, health care, free lunch programs. I have so many programs that are so vitally important to New Yorkers. It also affects roads, tunnels, bridges. Um, homeland security funding is dependent on this. So there are dire, dire consequences to this. In terms of electoral representation, we could lose up to two congressional seats. But what I really you know, tell people is not filling the census out, not taking the five minutes next year when the form comes out to fill it out, could mean that you can lose services in your own neighborhood. Well, you know, this is, um, I think, a little modern. I remember when they had the census takers check on your door. Tell Mm -hmm. me how they're going to go about getting people to fill out the form. What's going to be the process that we should be looking forward to? Sure. Well, for the first time, you can fill out the form online or by phone. So on March 12th of next year, of 2020, uh, every New Yorker will get a piece of mail uh, from the Federal Census Bureau. And about 80% of New Yorkers will get a piece of mail that has a computer code on it, and they can literally just enter that code onto the census website, and in five minutes they're done, and they fill the form out. About 20% of New Yorkers are going to get a hard copy mailing with the traditional mail-in form, but they can still fill it out online um, or by phone if they want. Between March and the end of May, that's what's called the self-response period, and we want all New Yorkers to fill it out then. In 2010, the last time there was a census, uh, the response rate in New York was 61.9%. That is a really low response rate. Nationwide, it was 76%. So what does that mean? It means we're just leaving money on the table, and then we cannot allow that to happen. If people don't respond by the end of May, then the Federal Census Bureau sends out door knockers to knock on the doors, and that happens to the end of July, and the whole process ends in the end of July 2020. We have to make sure that every New Yorker is counted. We have to make sure that New York City gets the funding, quite frankly, that we deserve. It rightfully belongs to New York. Why should we leave it on the table? We shouldn't do that. 
And then there are other consequences, and I say this again as a mother, is that the New York City Health Department looks at census data in an emergency oftentimes. So, for example, when there was a measles outbreak in Long Island City a couple years ago, the health department looked at, at census data to determine how many children are in the area and how many vaccines need to be ordered. So if that number is wrong, you can see the consequences. In 2010 nationwide, one million children were left out of the census. They just were not counted. Remarkable. You know, you've used your Columbia University. I heard you graduated summa cum laude. Uh, well, magna cum laude. Magna, yes, pardon me, you. pardon me. That's the best, isn't it? Uh, it, 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 it summa is the, the very, very best. I graduated magna. So I was, I was happy. And you know what? Most importantly, it made my parents very happy. Oh, I'm sure they're very proud. My daughter went to Columbia uh, School of uh, Social Work. And that majestic graduation just stayed in my mind forever because of the beauty and the glory of the graduation ceremony at Columbia is one that I just cherished. So I hope your parents were able to be there. Yes, they were. It was a proud moment for them. So you had a very sexy job before, which may not have been so sexy, but I think people should know that you also happen to have had another little job, which was to be overseeing the movie, well, they called it the Office of Media and Entertainment. Right. So it's much sexier than you being commissioner of consumer affairs. I know you did good work work there too. But talk to us a little bit about, because some people are still beefing about, oh, they take up our streets. Oh, they're, you know, but what does that industry bring our city? Well, first of all, the industry brings um, over $9 billion of economic activity into the city. It's a nine billion. Repeat that. Nine billion with a B. And and these are jobs um, for working New Yorkers. So we're talking about Teamsters drivers, um, people who are working on the set, carpenters. These are good paying jobs. And and we don't want those jobs to go to Toronto, to Atlanta, to L.A., to other places where there is a lot of production. So certainly endeavored to encourage um, production. But at the same time as we work to encourage production, we, of course, recognize that it affects communities. I chaired Community Board 1 in Lower Manhattan for seven years. And so I really understood the concerns that people have. And so we really tried to increase the moratorium list, which is basically a list where if there are community concerns, the office puts that block on a moratorium for six months. At the time that I um, stepped down as commissioner about six weeks ago, we had 850 blocks in the city of New York on this moratorium list. And so I'm proud of the fact that we were able to balance community concerns with also making sure that we're uh, increasing production at the same time and and, and making sure that we're creating jobs for New Yorkers. Are the tax um, benefits still in place? Because sometimes people question that, and it's so critical to keeping this industry flourishing in our city. Well, the tax incentive is not a city incentive. It is a state incentive. It has been in place for some time, and that, again, is a state incentive. and so that that incentive um, is in place right now. And I think, you know, what the city does, where well, we don't offer an incentive, what we do is we have the Made in New York brand. And so there's in-kind bus and subway ads for production where 75% of the production is shot in New York City. Wow. And then I think also talking about a little bit about how you juggle. I'm a mother of four children, and I know you have how many? Four. You also have four. So 
how do you do it? How do you balance your career? Well, yeah, and you've got a wonderful it's, husband too. It's, it's uh, right, exactly. You know, it's it's a great question, and I, I don't think that it's different than what working mothers all across the country face. It's just a question of. You know, when you're very busy and when you have a lot to do and you have a lot of responsibilities, you just get it done. I mean, I'm part of the sandwich generation. I took care of my mother uh, a number of years ago. I was diagnosed with a rare incurable cancer. She mm. passed away not that long ago, so I was her sole caregiver. And so it's balancing, you know, the needs of my children, uh, my mother, uh, job, and that's what the sandwich generation does. You're responsible for oftentimes... But how do you pull it off? How do you... Okay, do you have any well, advice look, to no give? There's no perfect recipe. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, like, women can be too hard on themselves about that and say, uh, you know, you do the, the best that you possibly can. And I think for my children are really proud of the work that I do. I make them um, really aware of public service and the importance of public service and why it matters so much. I think it, it they, they've definitely absorbed that. And, um, you know, it's the same with my mother who, you know, worked her whole life. And I, it was something that I really admired. And so it's, it's just a process. It's always a juggling act, but it, that's just the way it is for, for working women all across the country. So I have to ask you a personal question. Uh-oh. I remember when I <laughs> used to be away from my children, I had this guilt. I mean, we called it a Jewish guilt complex about working and being around enough. So how do you feel when you, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, I, you know, I'm very fortunate because my boys are extremely um, engaged in politics and government. And so they love hearing about the work that I'm doing. And so I think when I'm home with them and at the dinner table and talking to them, they have a million different questions and they love being a part of that. And so for me, that's really worked. And they tell me all the time that they're proud that I work for the city of New York and the, the kind of public service work that um, the various agencies that I've worked with have done. Well, so, we're coming to the close of our uh, Power Women uh, chat, and I would like it if you could think of one secret of success that you can offer to our other women listening and men to be successful today. What piece of advice would you give? Well, the one piece of advice, and I tell my kids this all the time, is there's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. And it's really hard work. It's about the hard work and and putting that in. And I think that that makes a, a, a big world of difference. Well, I thank you so much for being with us today on Our Power Women. And I am thrilled uh, to be able to know you and to help you with the census fight to get people collected and counted and the wonderful work you do in balancing your legal life, your city life, and your motherhood. And I think it's been a beautiful way to uh, be an example for every woman that is possible. So thank thank you. you so much. Have a wonderful day. And I'm so glad that we are all being sponsored by the... One Brooklyn Health System, Brookdale Hospital, which is the leader in healthcare in East Brooklyn. See you on the radio.